Thank you. Can you hear me? Thank you, Ferdy, for your candor. Oh, there you are. Hi. <laughs> Make the stars look like they're not shining Her hair, her hair falls perfectly without her trying She's so beautiful, I should tell her every day That when I see your face There's not a thing that I would change Cause you're amazing just the way you are And when you smile The whole world stops and stares for a while Cause you're amazing Just the way you Thank you. So that song is uh, Just the Way You Are by Bruno Mars, if you haven't heard it before. Uh, in some ways, it's the modern version of the Song of Solomon. And uh, actually, I, I dedicate that song to Priscilla, my wife. <laughs> because uh, last weekend, we celebrated our 34th anniversary. So I just had to take this opportunity, and I uh, hope that's all okay with all of you. I know it's not okay with her, because <laughs> she asked me this week, this week, are you going to talk about me during the, your message? And are you going to embarrass me? And so I'm pretty sure she's embarrassed right now, but uh, that's okay. <laughs> it, it happens only once every... Um, 15 or so years. I did sing to her before in church service, actually, at our 10th anniversary. And Pastor Whalen, thank you, Pastor Whalen, allowed me to do that at uh, CPC. So that was a few years ago. But we're talking about romance. We're talking about romance. It's an elusive, sometimes fleeting, but powerful emotion, right? Um, let me turn this over here. There we go. Uh, the heroine in our love song says this about love three times. Daughters of Jerusalem, I charge you by the gazelles and by the does of the field, do not arouse love, or do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. Do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. In other words, don't ignite the flames of passion until the time is right. Until the time is right. When is the time right? When is the right time? Well, it seems that in Solomon's love song, the time is right. Um, 
after the wedding, the time is right. Chapter 3, which actually we have not covered, uh, describes an elaborate wedding procession led by our conquering king. And now we come to the wedding ceremony. It's his turn to speak. It's his turn to express his deepest emotions. Indeed, it is time to ignite the flames of romance. You'll notice that as we're reading chapter 4, that out of the 16 verses in the chapter, the king speaks for 15 verses. The princess bride speaks only in the final verse. I think, I think that that speaks volumes to the fact that when it comes to romance, the ball is always squarely in the man's court. While she may be, be interested and show interest, this song and most love songs point to the fact that it's up to the man to make the first move, whether or not you're a romantic or not. Guys, we have the responsibility to romance our wives or, or our significant others or whoever that person is. And not just at the beginning when love is fresh, but throughout our lifetimes. Don't be like the knucklehead guy who responded to his wife's laments at his lack of attention with, well, I t look, I told you I loved you when we got married, and if anything changes, I'll let you know. <laughs> no, be instead like Melvin Armine here, who earlier this year, even though he has Alzheimer's, went missing in Little Rock, Arkansas, which left his wife, Doris, quite worried. When the police finally picked him up, instead of bringing him right home, Melvin had the police stop at a store to buy flowers. You see, Melvin bought Doris a bouquet of roses every Mother's Day since the day their daughter was born, and he wasn't going to stop even if he had Alzheimer's. So why is romance important, and what is the right way to go about romancing someone? I think Song of Solomon, chapter 4, there are at least some elements of romance that are important. So let's take a look at some of them, shall we? The first one is to paint her portrait of romantic beauty. Paint her portrait of romantic beauty. This is what he begins to say as he speaks to his uh, princess bride. He says, how beautiful you are, my darling. Oh, how beautiful. Your eyes behind your veil are doves. Your hair is like a flock of goats descending from Mount Gilead. Your teeth are like a flock of sheep, just shorn, coming up from the washing. Each has its twin. Each has its twin. Not one of them is alone. Your lips are like a scarlet ribbon. Your mouth is lovely. Your temples behind your veil are like the halves of a pomegranate. Your neck is like the Tower of David, built with elegance. On it hang a thousand shields, all of them shields of warriors. Your two breasts are like fawns, like twin fawns of a gazelle that browse among the lilies. Until the day breaks and the shadows flee, I will go to the mountain of myrrh, and to the hill of incense. 
You are beautiful, my darling. There is no flaw in you. Because you're amazing just the way you are. Now again, in the 21st century context, some of this poetry might go right over our heads. And ladies, you might not exactly feel the romance oozing out of his description. But what Solomon is doing here is painting a beautiful portrait of a, of, in a stunning array of colors and pictures to describe his blushing bride. I think the setting here might actually be the wedding ceremony itself. Imagine the groom and his party standing at the altar, and as the door in the back of the church opens, he sees his bride in her wedding gown for the first time. And he begins to describe her with the most beautiful, important, and valuable things that he knows of. Starting from the top, her eyes behind her veils are like doves, beautifully graceful, fluttering in the wind. Her hair is like a flock of goats descending the mountain. Perhaps it's flowing or cascading down her head and over her shoulders. Her teeth, her teeth are like a newly shorn flock of sheep. Assuming she has a big smile on her face and he can see it through her veil, um, they remind him of white sheep that have just been cleaned. She obviously went to the dentist that morning and had a cleaning. Her lips are like scarlet or red ribbons. And her temples, probably actually her cheeks, her cheeks behind her veil, are like a pomegranate cut in half. So she has nice rosy cheeks. She's also visited her um, uh, makeup artist that morning. Her neck is like the Tower of David, a nice reference to his father. The tower would have been an important watch point with many shields hanging from it, or perhaps soldiers lined up along the ramparts, cascading down and around, maybe in reference to a necklace adorning her neck, studded with many jewels. He continues to move down past her neck to her breast, which he describes as twin fawns gazing in the meadow. The language is poetic and beautiful. It isn't cheap or lurid. It isn't crude or insulting. Solomon romances his bride with words of affirmation that help her understand his sense of love and devotion to her. And somehow he must communicate this to her. It doesn't help if he's thinking these things in his head, but somehow they don't translate into some form of external communication. So in my mind, you know, this is something that he is saying to her as she's walking down the aisle. He's pro publicly pronouncing his admiration for her, and he is affirming her importance to him. But what if lo her love language isn't words of affirmation? Dr. Gary Chapman, a well-known Christian psychologist, wrote a book called The Five Love Languages. And I'd like us to take a quick test, okay? 
It's in there in your program. There's a, there's a little quick test of about 30 questions. And um, don't take too long on each answer. Um, just mark the one of the pairs of the statement that best describes your response. And then total your response, total your score at the very end. And then we'll talk about what the five love languages are. So I want you to take about five minutes to go ahead and uh, try to identify what your love language is. Again, don't take too long to answer a question. Just pick the one that you think best describes you out of the pair. How's everybody doing? When you're finished totaling up your answers, look up so I know you're done. <laughs> Put down your number two pencil. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs>
Okay, almost done. Almost done. Okay, let me describe for you what the, the five love languages are. And you can keep going if you like and total up your answers if you like. But the first one is words of affirmation, verbal compliments, words of appreciation, encouraging word, kind words, and humble words are all ways to show love using verbal communication. One of the deepest needs in many people is the need to feel appreciated. Words of af affirmation will meet this need for many people. The second one is quality time. Quality time means togetherness, not sitting in front of the TV together, but sitting together, giving each other your total undivided attention. This means looking at each other, talking to each other, not at each other. Number three is receiving gifts. Receiving gifts, the giving of a gift is an outward sign that the person was thinking of you in some way. It is something that you can hold and touch that shows someone cared enough to think of you. To give a gift, the person giving the gift has to think about the person that they are giving the gift to. The gift is a symbol of, what, of that thought, and it doesn't matter the cost. It is the fact that they did think of it. Uh, number four is acts of service. Acts such as cooking meals, setting the table, washing floors, clothes, dishes, mowing the lawn, fixing the plumbing, etc. Are, are all acts of service. The per person performing these acts of service has to think about them, plan the time to do them, and put the effort into doing them. And the last one is physical touch. Um, we, always, uh, we have always known that we, we have five senses, sight, hearing, taste, smell, and touch. Of these five senses, touch is very different from the rest. Sight is through our eyes, hearing is through our ears, taste through our tongue, but touch is not limited to our fingers. We have many tactile receptors all over our bodies. When these receptors are touched or pressed, nerve care, nerves carry impulses to the brain and the brain interprets these impulses. It could be pain or pleasure, hot or cold, hard or soft, loving or not. So what this test will show you is that, you know, out of those five uh, um, love languages, maybe one or, or two are at the top of your list, that you respond best to those. And maybe the person that um, you're partners with or that you're friends with or that you're in a family with have a different love language. And maybe sometimes the fact that you're not really communicating is that you're trying to show love in your love languages, love language, not theirs. And the idea is you need to understand and know what your love language is, as well as what the other person's love language is. 
So I would like you sometime today or during this week or sometime to share the results of your test with someone that you love in your family, at work, your siblings, your parents, whoever that may be, so that you can let somebody know that you know what your love language is, but that they can know how you might respond to, 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 to that love language. And then, you know, it might be a good idea if you have a family for everybody to sort of take this test and understand what your love language is in your family so that you can respond to each other that way. Uh, well, beside painting a romantic picture or portrait of his bride, our handsome groom commits himself uh, even more deeply in this relationship. And to, and to do so, he must do this. He must invite her to an intimate dance. He must invite her to an intimate dance. He's, he says this going on in chapter 4. Come with me from Lebanon, my bride. Come with me from Lebanon. Descend from the crest of Amana from the top of Sinir, the summit of Hermon, from the lion's den and the mountain haunts of the leopard. Come with me from Lebanon, my bride. Come with me from Lebanon. Descend, oh, sorry. You have stolen my heart, my sister, my bride. You have stolen my heart with one glance of your eyes, with one jewel of your necklace. He invites her to come away with him. He wants to take her away to consummate their union. This is the honeymoon, the wedding night. It's not because he's just because he's physically attracted to her. It's because she has stolen his heart. He now wants to be exclusively, exclusively hers and for her to be exclusively his with one glance of her eyes, with one jewel on her necklace. Uh, a few weeks ago, in our small group, uh, I had everybody share in couples um, to remember a, a moment, maybe the first moment or a first moment in the relationship um, that they remember in particular. And I had them describe what the, the setting was, what the context was. Maybe the sights and the sounds of it. And uh, I shared a time before Priscilla and I were married that we were on a break uh, from a conference in San Francisco, near San Francisco. And uh, so we took a break and we went with a group to, uh, to San Francisco Fisherman's Wharf. And, uh, and I remember that we were at this little cafe eating lunch. And uh, she was sitting at one table and I was sitting at another table and I remember that I was eating shrimp cocktail. I remember that, yes, I do. And I, and I remember very clearly there was one moment where Priscilla and I looked at each other, we glanced at each other, but then we just kind of locked eyes, like, like, like we just kept staring at each other. There was one glance. And I remember sort of the room, kind of, the, the edges of the room kind of getting fuzzy and the conversations around us were kind of getting a little muffled. And, uh, 
That was the moment that she captured my heart. When it comes to romance, guys, um, she must know you only have eyes and a heart for her. But in order for her to know this, you must invite her. You must invite her to a dance, the most precious dance ever known. And we're not talking about dancing with the stars or hip-hop or anything like that. The dance of marriage is a dance of a lifetime. It is give and take. It is leading and following. It's a mutual sharing of life, the pains and the heartaches, the joys and the triumphs. You take one step backward and two steps forward and three steps sideways. That's the dance of life. But it must begin with an invitation, an invitation that lets her know of your intentions. It is an overture, but it puts the ball in her court then. Well, the third aspect of romance that Solomon reveals to us is this to share her secret sensational delight. That's a mouthful, but to share her secret sensational delight. Um, And that picture that's at the top there is a panoramic view of a a, uh, winery that Priscilla and I visited last week while we were celebrating our anniversary. But this is what Solomon goes on to say, or the king goes on to say, How delightful is your love, my sister, my bride. How much more pleasing is your love than wine and the fragrance of your perfume than any spice? Your lips drop sweetness as the honeycomb, my bride. Milk and honey are under your tongue. The fragrance of your garments is like that of Lebanon. You are a garden locked up, my sister, my bride. You are a spring enclosed, a sealed fountain. Your plants are an orchard of pomegranate with choice fruits, with henna and nard. Nard and saffron, calamus and cinnamon, with every kind of incense tree, with myrrh and aloes and all the finest spices. You are a garden fountain, a well of flowing water, streaming down from Lebanon. Solomon now ups the ante of his description of his bride. Perhaps now it is just the two of them together. They've begun their honeymoon, their wedding night. They are sharing an intimate moment. His descriptions now not only include visual beauty, but the other senses as well. The taste of wine, the smell of perfume, the sweetness of honey, the fragrance of cedar from Lebanon, the sound of a spring, the taste of fruit, pomegranates. Pomegranate is an ancient sign of fertility. Some think that the forbidden fruit in the Garden of Eden might have been a pomegranate, not an apple. And then Solomon mentions seven spices, ointments, and herbs to describe her garden. To him, she is a garden of earthly delight. But she is a secret garden, a garden that is locked up, a spring that is enclosed, a fountain that is sealed. She has not yet consented to the consummation. He is waiting her permission. 
May I say that chivalry and romance is a somewhat lost art these days? Uh, one of my favorite movies is Kate and Leopold. I don't know if you've ever seen that movie. It's a story of a man who is transported from the 19th century, 100 years into the future, into the present. And it shows the differences between that, uh, what, what, what once was considered gentlemanly and proper compared to the cavalier, cavalier attitudes of modern society. Sorry. Um, uh, yeah, it's mostly romantic comedy shtick. Uh, but it also portrays the kind of uh, gentle consideration that is very rare these days. I fear that these days people are so eager to explore, express, and expose themselves that we have lost the capacity to feel things deeply, to understand what it means to wait until the right time, or as our princess put it, to not awaken love until it so desires. Love and sexual union was designed by God to be shared in the marital relationship. God created it, and he deemed it to be a good thing. We humans have taken it and downgraded it to be a commodity, an advertising gimmick, something that sells movie tickets or music downloads, rather than the beautiful expression of what can happen between a man and a woman. Genesis 2:22 through 23 or 24 says this. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man and he bought, and he brought her to the man. He said the man said, "This is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken, I'm sorry. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man." For this reason, A man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. This one flesh concept is very important to understand. When a man and woman join their bodies together, they share something that no other creation can share. Not only do they become one physically, but they also share something emotionally and spiritually. As we say in the marriage ceremony, Marriage is not by any to be entered into unadvisedly or lightly, but reverently, discreetly, advisedly, soberly, and in the fear of God. So there should never be any rush, and there should always be a delicate understanding that this is a far deeper commitment than any other kind of human relationship that exists. And while he eagerly awaits her response, he does wait, until she is ready. He does wait. And so with these three elements of romance in place, painting her portrait of romantic beauty, inviting her to an intimate dance, and sharing in her secret sensational delight, she does respond. She does welcome his overtures. If this is Solomon's you-complete-me moment, then this is his bride's you-had-me-at-hello moment. Oh, so you guys do remember Jerry Maguire. (laughs) I wasn't sure. We have to receive her welcomed response. We have to receive her welcomed response. This is what she says, finally, after 15 verses, after all this description by Solomon. She says this, 
Awake, north wind, and come, south wind, blow on my garden that its fragrance may spread abroad. Let my lover come into his garden and taste its choice fruits. She responds to this invitation. She accepts, and thus they begin their life together. She really only has this one thing to say, and that is, yes, I am opening myself to you, heart, soul, mind, and body. This is the beginning of a beautiful relationship. And it will have its ups and downs, but as they commit to God uh, and to one another, they will reflect Christ and the church in all its glory. Like I said at the beginning, romance is not just for the dating or even the honeymoon phase of a relationship. It's something that needs to be cultivated and cared for over time. As the years go by and as the anniversaries increase, love and romance can and must continue to grow. Otherwise, a relationship will become stale and mundane instead of fresh and exciting. Can it happen? Well, like I said, a great majority of the responsibility is up to the man in the relationship. Whether or not you think of yourself as a romantic, your spouse will respond to your romantic gestures when they come from your heart. Now let me say a few things in closing. While God has sanctified marriage, and it is one of the most beautiful of human experiences, it is not the pinnacle or high point of human experience. Yes, God has created us to be sexual beings, And those feelings are felt in very strong ways by both genders. But we aren't defined by our sexual impulses. I recently read a blog by um, a single Christian woman about her vow to protect purity, even in the prevailing culture which fights against that so strongly. She speaks of the ache she feels when she sees her married friends sharing this romantic kind of love that we've been speaking about here. Knowing that for her, at least in the present moment, she will not get to experience that pleasure in its fullest, in its fullest sense, unless and until she is married. So she goes on to share about other feelings she has had, which some here will undoubtedly relate to. But she also speaks to something greater, something all of us, single or married, need to focus on. Here's what uh, Fabian Harford says. And this is from, um, her blog is from uh, something called the Gospel Coalition, and you can find it on on the internet, thegospelcoalition.com. And this was a very recent um, um, blog post. You might want to read it yourself or share it with somebody that that you know. But But she says this in her blog. Nothing sounds as foolish to the world as a person who would pursue purity, not out of some sense of religious obligation, but out of a faith that there is a greater pleasure in store for those who would trust in the Creator. Nothing makes God look as beautiful as when we, who have tasted His goodness, would use our lives to testify that we will forego any momentary joy in order to taste more of Him. 
For those of you who are single and can empathize with your feeling, please know that as a community, we all stand together. We may not understand completely what you're going through, but we are willing to listen and to pray with you. We are your family, and we walk together through this life with ups and downs, and we share all of life's full spectrum of emotions with you because we are a family in Christ, and we are called to be one as a family and to share in life's pain and life's pleasures together. And we all must remember that marriage doesn't define us. Marriage does not define us. Our spouses are our brother and sister in Christ. We want to treat them with the same love and respect that we would anyone else in the family of God. But this picture of romance, these strong feelings of mutual physical and emotional attraction, are gifts from God that point us back to him. They point us back to him. We can't forget that. As beautiful as marriage is, it is merely a picture of our relationship with God. And we want to reflect that every day. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this beautiful, amazing picture that the, the writer of the Song of Solomon, or the Song of Songs, writes for us and communicates to us. And they certainly do reflect many of our own human emotional uh, feelings. But at the same time, Lord, may we hear those words being spoken, and may we hear your voice speaking to us. May they be the voice of Christ speaking his description of how he sees each one of us in him. As his beautiful bride, as somebody that he loves and he affirms and he appreciates. And may we, each one of us understand what that feeling is and, and feel it deeply in our hearts that, that God loves us and sees us as beautiful, as his creation, as his bride. And Lord, may we reflect that back to you also because you, Lord, are beautiful. You are more beautiful than anything that we can imagine, any person that we've ever seen, any feeling that we've ever felt any sunset that we've ever experienced, those all come from you, Lord, and we know they are a reflection of who you are as a creator. So help us, remind us, renew us in your spirit to, uh, to love you and to love your beauty and to appreciate it. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.